Hey, what up, Long Beach? We are securely fastened in Survive in Advance season. We are bringing you some special playoff previews on this edition of our podcast that is part of our partnership with the Long Beach Post. And as always, we are the 562.org. I'm JJ Fiddler. I'm Mike Gardabasio. I've also been cranking out quite a bit of education coverage for the Post over the last two and a half years. What is it? Two years? Two years. Um, including we had some breaking news this week that the Teachers Association of Long Beach and the Long Beach Unified School District have come to a tentative agreement for their uh, new bargaining contract. Uh, that is a story a year in the making and uh, definitely happy for all involved to uh, see that moving forward. Couple votes still to go before it's official, but uh, big story over at lbpost.com right near. And I'm Tyler Hendrickson uh, here to remind you that the 562.org is a community funded nonprofit. The only way that we produce all the great coverage that we've been producing uh, since our inception is because of the support of our great sponsors, our readers, subscribers, um, anyone in the community that's <laughs> ready, willing and able to help us out. We are always looking uh, for different ways uh, to grow and, and do more. That's the number one request that we get is, hey, I wish you guys could do more. I wish you were at more things. I wish we could see more of your stuff, which is a great compliment to the work that that the three of us and then all of our incredibly talented team of uh, freelance writers, videographers, and photographers are doing. We're, we're blessed to work with some really talented people. Um, the only way we're gonna do more work is if we have more money to hire more people and um, to make sure that we can get out and see as many games as possible. If you wanna support the 562.org, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Best way, hit on the website, go to the support tab, plenty of different ways that you can contribute. We recently did a fundraiser at Flippin' Pizza. We wanna thank everybody that came by and grabbed a slice or a whole pie uh, to support our efforts. Thanks to Flippin' for uh, hosting community fundraisers like that. And um, it's just one of the ways that we're working to try to fund our operation and make sure the athletes in our community get the uh, coverage that they deserve. I, uh, I want to throw, first of all, a, a reinforcement on that flipping thing. We're covering a Milliken playoff volleyball match at Milliken today. Dante Williams is going to go cover that for us with an article and a video. He, the funding to do that comes from the flipping fundraiser directly. So if you're one of the people who showed up to that fundraiser, that game is covered because of your help. Um, we're going to put that out on social media today, but I, I want to really emphasize that to people. Uh, we're a very lean nonprofit. The money that you give to us goes straight into coverage. Um, and so we're very appreciative of people who've done that. Now, I'd like to propose, guys, that we get a little bit less lean. Maybe we get a title sponsor for the long dreamed of 562 helicopter. Um, and, you know, the three of us can just hang out in the helicopter. We'll fly from soccer game to soccer game. Maybe if we position it right, we could see a game at Milliken and a game at Lakewood at the same time, and we'll cover more games that way. What do you think? I like it. I think I'm more of a blimp guy. I think the blimp would be a better <laughs> It's quieter, you know? Like, the, the chopper is going to make too much noise in the background of the video. I know it I've moves, got a it pandemic. It moves slower, and, though. It moves yeah, you, slower. You do. And also, I know I've put on a pandemic 20, but Tyler's saying the blimp would be a better fit really cuts deep. Cuts me right to, right to the heart. <laughs> I might move slow. It's still faster than the 405, though. <laughs> so like I said, we are doing playoff previews right now at the 562.org. You can see the breakdown of where some of these local spring high school sports teams are going to start the postseason. This week, obviously, top of the list is baseball and softball. We have 10 local baseball and softball teams getting ready for the CIF Southern Section playoffs. And let's whip it around the horn and just say what we think – the biggest key to victory, defeat, 
success disappointment is for some of these teams. And to be honest with you, I think across the board, we have talked so much about how good the pitching has been in Long Beach. Obviously, you've got the D1 arms in more league baseball with Miles Patton, Anthony Einson, Charlie Royal, and heck, even Ryan Shonsby looked like a D1 uh, pitcher in that season finale at Bull Diamond at Blair Field last week. You can check out the coverage of that at the 562.org. But even on the softball end, you know what I mean? You got Bella Alonzo, you've got Victoria Byram, you've got Schiffel, you've got Castano. These, these girls are very, very good. However, I think Milliken softball is the only one with pitching depth, right? Like there are other teams that have good number two, number three guys, but we didn't really get to see them very often because the schedule broke down where they didn't have to throw. I mean, heck, Ava Schiffel, she, she pitched two games back to back in a row, but Tuesday, Wednesday, like the biggest games of the season. So we really have only seen these one pitchers. And I think pitching depth has been an issue in the past for the more league in the postseason, And I think that's going to rear its ugly head again this week. We need people to step up in those two, three spots to get back to those aces, because I will also say that the aces of Long Beach might be the best in the Southern section. Well, that's, I mean, they're certainly in the conversation, JJ. Um, And I think that's one of the interesting thing about these diamond sports, especially baseball is the sport changes in the postseason. You know, I mean, you, you can go through a regular more league season and we saw Miles Patton throw the vast majority of the innings for Millican. We saw Anthony Ionson throw the vast majority of the league innings for Lakewood, for example. Um, but now you get to the postseason, you're not going to be able to do that back-to-back games. You know, someone else is going to have to step up and be that guy. Um, and so it, you become a different team in the postseason, unlike in other sports where in basketball you have the same rotation every single game. Uh, baseball is a little different. And I think that's advantage Wilson, um, the fact that they were without Charlie Royal. They needed guys um, like Jack Eckenrode um, to step up. And I think there is more depth in the Wilson pitching staff, they're also in a lower division, which helps them competitively considering they were going toe to toe and even beat the league champion um, Milliken that's in division two. So, um, you know, they set up just with the bracket that they're in, but I think the key uh, going back to your question, JJ, the biggest key, I think it's playing catch. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing we've seen throughout this season is the team that plays quality defense that doesn't make mistakes, that doesn't put free base runners on, um, that backs up their pitching staff, that's the team that's found the most success. And I think that'll be the same way in the playoffs. You're not necessarily going to be playing on the best diamonds. You're going to be playing on, a, you know, places you've never played before. Um, but if you can play good defense, and that was looking back to Milliken's CIF title run last year, yes, we can point to some clutch hits. Yes, we know Miles Patton was amazing, but they also limited their mistakes and made some really, really great defensive plays during that run. So um, I think that's kind of the key is – limiting the errors and limiting the free opportunities for your opponents. Well, this, I guess, will come as no surprise that JJ pitch, uh, picked pitching and Tyler picked uh, playing good defense. But I, I, I am just going to say the bats. I, I always think when we, go, when we go into the playoffs, how many 1-0, 2-0, you know, playoff losses have the three of us covered from the Moore League? And it's kind of interesting because the city used to have your reputation absolutely you know, hard throwers, absolutely great defensively sound team. But the reputation in Long Beach was always that those guys can mash, you know, whether you were you were going to play against Milliken or Lakewood or Wilson. And there was a stretch when those three teams were basically handing the Division One championship back and forth to each other in the 80s and 90s. Those dudes were going to come up and they were going to hit bombs, you know, and it, it just has not been the case. It, it sort of, I think, coincidentally coincided with the BB Corps bats, which was like, what, 2008, 2009, Jage, when we first yeah. started? 
And so, you know, we had coaches at that time going, oh, it's these new bats. We're trying to figure them out. But the fact of the matter is, I think we all just kind of know by the end of the first, second inning when we're when we're covering a playoff game, either it's a game where, you know, you're in the mix to win at 8-6 or even 8-1-8-2, or it's a like 1-0-2-0, hopefully – the other team makes the error and not the Long Beach team. But um, I think that's the biggest thing to me is you just can't have those games where it feels like you go an hour and a half without base runners or without, you know, guys threatening. Um, and I think that's, that's been sort of the matchup. You guys both said it and you're spot on the pitching top level pitching matches up with any other league in Southern California. Um, but you just can't have those games go against you in the playoffs where the other team's got guys on the whole time and you're leaning that hard on Miles Patton or Charlie Royal um, or Anthony Ianson or, or Rhino, you know, that you're like, hey, you have to be perfect to give us a chance. It's just not going to happen four times in two weeks if you're trying to win a, you know, get to a championship game. Scheduling does help the Moore League a little bit, I have to mention. Since these games are on Thursday, they do get to go back to back. So Miles Patton for Milliken can pitch Thursday and then again on Tuesday because it is a brand new week. What were you going to say, Tyler? Well, I, I just kind of find it interesting. You know, we we're talking about the history of Wilson baseball, you know, and, and not too long ago, um, back in 07, they won a, a national championship. You know, yeah. they were division one national champions. And so I'm, I'm, I can't help but make the sort of connection in my mind between, you know, back in that time, poly football was also, you know, national champion level team, um, you know, ranked number one in the country, all that stuff. Now, just this past year in division four, winning a championship, the Wilson baseball program, same exact scenario. Now they're in division four, though. We haven't really heard the exact same amount of, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what to call it because it's interesting because a lot of the poly criticism of them being in division four is from diehard poly fans that don't want them in that division. But I don't, I don't see the same, like, you know, I don't see anyone looking down their nose at the division four baseball bracket in the same way. I'm just, I I don't really have a point on this. I'm just interested to kind of draw that comparison and get your guys' take on that. We've always said Wilson fans are the most reasonable, you know? (laughs) If Polly had missed the playoffs the year before being the division four champion, I think we would have heard a little bit different type of chatter. Wilson missing the playoffs last year. Now they're back in it. It's like, oh, cool. Playoffs. We'll take whatever we can get. I think especially because that missing the playoffs kind of came and what everyone knew was a really weird, fluky set of circumstances. You know what I mean? It's not that they finished in sixth place or something. It's just that because Compton wasn't able to field the team, the league only sent three teams to the playoffs instead of four. So I know that some of their – Alumni had, shall we say, chapped butts about the fact that they didn't make the playoffs, but it was a little bit more obviously a like, oh, something weird happened as opposed to a, you guys aren't as good as you they were when I was in high school <laughs> you know, kind of right. thing. Because uh, Tyler's right. We've heard way more criticism of poly football stuff from poly alums than we have from anyone else. You yeah, know? the uh, the real <laughs> the realistic fandoms, I think poly football, Wilson baseball might be 1A, 1B. I don't think you, I don't think you can put one above the other. But I, no, I think but I think it's interesting to look at the fact that it is happening at across all sports. It's happening for various schools and they're, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call Wilson baseball their flagship program, you know, got to give respect to their aquatics, obviously, but um, certainly one of the uh, top sports at Wilson that they've had a ton of success and produce, you know, hall of fame level uh, talent out of there. So it, it's just, it's an interesting dynamic. And I know it's a very different more league given the 
uh, the overall depth of the league at the top, top half of baseball versus the top half of football. Um, but, you know, it's it's still a, a lower division. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> we'll see if they can take advantage of their opportunity the same way uh, that Polly did, making that dominant run to a championship. But it's, it's interesting that it starts with a local matchup, and it's a couple local matchups as we get to see St. Anthony going head-to-head in the Moore League in these playoffs. How often does that happen, guys? St. Anthony baseball and softball both playing the second-place team out of the Moore League. Softball playing Lakewood, baseball playing Wilson. It is just a great moment to be a Saint because that's where they want to be. They want to be competing with the other Long Beach schools. I talked to uh, softball pitcher Rose Cano and coach Joseph Younger about that in the preview. And they both said, yes, we want the, all, the, all the smoke. Bring the more league over here. Let's see what it do. And now they have a chance to actually compete in the postseason against them. I think that's just incredible for that school. You know, obviously St. Anthony Athletics and just St. Anthony High School has been up and down with numbers and what they're doing and, and their approach to everything. And to uh, have that be a fact in the same postseason is just a tip of the cap to the Saints for well. I did uh, did also want to mention these fields that Tyler mentioned. You know, some of these games are going to be played on these campus fields. Uh, if you listen to the show, you know we've talked about this before. Uh, I, I do think there's a huge difference in, let's say, you know, that, gla- that great Lakewood-Edison baseball game, the playoff game long ago. Uh, that's one of our favorite games that we've ever covered. Lakewood was the huge underdog in that game, and it was an advantage for them to be playing on their campus field to make the favorite in that game, Edison, feel uncomfortable. I feel like now Lakewood, or excuse me, that Long Beach as a whole is kind of in the opposite direction. Millican being the highest team in Division II, everybody else being in lower teams. Now Long Beach is not the underdog in these games. So they don't get that underdog boost of making a favorite come to their place and play on their campus field, a place where they practice every day, a place where they might not, where they might know the little idiosyncrasies of a bounce or a fence or, or whatever it is. They don't have that advantage. So it is almost backwards that the Moore League is now hosting games on these campus fields and they are the favorites. We just usually haven't seen that in our time covering sports in Long Beach. Yeah, couldn't 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 agree couldn't agree more with everything you just said. <laughs> uh, so make sure that you follow that stuff. Obviously, we're going to be having the live updates on Thursday from the baseball and the softball games. There's also games coming up on Tuesday, like I said, for that second round. Hopefully, we've got Keems alive in that stuff. But before Tuesday comes around, and heck, even on Thursday while we're covering these games, there is national championship buzz at Long Beach State because the men's volleyball team is trying to win their third in the last four seasons. They're going to UCLA to play the Final Four, first round Friday, win their second round championship on Saturday. Mike, you're going to be there. How are you feeling going into this tournament for Long Beach State men's volleyball? Um, yeah, so first match Thursday, 5 p.m. against UCLA, then Hawaii and Ball State go right after, um, and the winners of those will play Saturday at 5. Um, I feel, I, you know, I think Long Beach is a really good shot, you know. I mean, I, I kind of feel very similar to the way I did in 2017, um, the last time they went to a Final Four and didn't win. Um, they had uh, that, that great core, as we've always talked about, the, the best recruiting class in the history of the school of uh, TJ DeFalco, Kyle Unsing, Josh Juniga, you, you knew they were sophomores. They'd gotten to the final four. They looked great all year and they lost in the final four. They weren't quite ready to get it done yet, but I felt going into that final four that it was kind of like house money. Either, you know, you're going to be the favorites the next two years because everyone's coming back or you arrive a little ahead of schedule 
and you have a chance to do something crazy, you know, really crazy. Not that winning back-to-back -back isn't crazy since it had never happened before in school history. Um, but I feel similarly about this group. They absolutely have the talent to get it done. They're very young. The, the core of the team is freshmen and sophomores. And with the exception of the middle blockers, the entire rest of the team is back for the next two seasons. Um, they are only four and three on the road. They've looked a little shaky on the road. And I think that's going to be kind of what it comes down to for me. You know, they're talented enough. Um, you know, in a, my interview with Alan Knight, which you'll hear in a minute, he expressed to me like he changed the way he coached this year's team based on what happened that sophomore year with um, TJ and Josh and Kyle and those guys. So, um, I, you know, I think they have a really good shot. It, it's, in my opinion, them and UCLA and Hawaii all kind of on equal footing. They've all beaten each other. And with how good and these teams are and how high the level of execution is, it, it's kind of like a great playoff basketball game. It just comes down to what happens in the last four points. Like it just comes down to late game execution. You know, it's going to be 23, 22 ish, 23, 23 late in these sets. And it's just who hits the serve at the end, who gets a block at the end, you know, Long Beach state and that loss to Hawaii uh, in the big West championship, they were serving for set point twice in the first two sets and they lost those sets. So I think it really is that much of a, a razor's edge. That's certainly not to say that you, you know, you're skipping to the end there. I think it's going to be great volleyball throughout, but I, that's, I really think it's almost a coin flip between those three teams. So. Does that mean that home court advantage in Westwood for the UCLA Bruins is that much more important this year than it might usually be? Um, I can't think of a word to respond in agreement enthusiastically enough. Yes. If you're, <laughs> and I think that was very obvious. Um, I, I tuned into the press conferences for media day today via Zoom, it's very obvious that UCLA coach John Spira, um, who's also the uh, Olympic coach right now, feels that way. You know, um, the last time Long Beach State and UCLA played in Poly Pavilion was that 2018 uh, national championship. It, the atmosphere was absolutely electric. I 14 think you... 17 in the final set, Mike. They were down 14 17 yeah, in the right. fourth. Ugh. But you put this year's team in that environment, and I think UCLA probably wins that match, right? Just because that that team had been battle-tested through a Final Four where they didn't play the way they wanted to, et cetera. So uh, I think that's what's got Spiroff feeling good. Um, they had the benefit of a Tuesday match against Pepperdine where they lost the first set, and or they lost the second set, excuse me, and they looked a little shaky in the third but then they were able to pull it together with the home crowd and beat Pepperdine. So, um, you know, the, the last point I would just make about this match is it's very rare that, that Long Beach State gets to be involved in a national level top flight rivalry. Um, the, certainly the Long Beach, the, certainly the Dirtbags Fullerton games uh, have had that feel, you know, over, over an extended period of time. Um, but quite frankly, you know, you talk about basketball rivalries, women's bat, you know, softball rivalries we're just we're not in those games and what's really exciting to me about when you see Long Beach State get to play UCLA or Hawaii is that's the center of that entire sport globally for that night and it's just a really special thing I asked uh, Spira about that you know he and Alan Knight are the last two Olympic coaches for the United States on the men's side um, they've had these classic great postseason uh, rivalry matches against each other. I don't think it's a secret to tell people like they're recruiting the same kids. 
Mason Briggs, who's, you know, the best libero in the country, he picked Long Beach State over UCLA. The best kids at UCLA picked UCLA over Long Beach State. So there, there's this deep involvement between the programs. And I asked John, I was like, you know, do you think that that's sort of healthy for the game? Do you think that's helping to grow it? And he said, absolutely. You know, he said that match um, in 2018 at the Pyramid when it was Long Beach State UCLA 1-2 and they sold the Pyramid out. He said, you know, I'm getting ready for the game in the locker room. And my wife comes in and said, you know, there's there's scalping tickets in the parking lot right now. And he goes, you know, if we're scalping tickets for a collegiate men's volleyball match, we're doing something right here. And, and again, it's just it's cool to see that. I wish this was the championship. I, you know, Hawaii certainly has earned the right to be on the other side of the bracket. But um, I just think you get that kind of a rivalry matchup with Long Beach State UCLA in the final four. It's in Southern California. It's in driving distance. I know it's at five o'clock. But uh, I just hope a lot of fans, you know, take the afternoon off and go up and, and check that match out because I think it's going to be pretty special. Well, no, I think that's a good point, Mike. I think this is the one we all want to see and that we're looking forward to. But, you know, sometimes the, you know, shout out to the Miracle on Ice. Sometimes the semifinal is the is the is the game, you know. Um, but uh, I, I will say, you know, you brought up the fact that Long Beach State hadn't been great on the road this season, but really what it comes down to is if Long Beach State's going to win a national championship, they need to win a road game and a neutral site game. And they're playing a team that they have played before on the road, though not in this building. So it's the rubber match between Long Beach State and UCLA this season, which also kind of adds to the, the rivalry a little bit. But, you know, for fans that might look at the schedule and say, oh, they split, but there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot behind the scenes and in the box score on that split. Long Beach State was without setter Aiden Knight when they played at UCLA. So might give give the listeners a breakdown of like just that specific matchup, Long Beach State UCLA, the results from this season, though they did play um, a little while ago. It wasn't a recent, recent meeting. Yeah, I think, and I mentioned that confidence that all three teams have. They're basically all even against each other. Long Beach State split the, the series against UCLA. Um, UCLA's lineup is almost completely different at this point. Um, they played 12 players in the uh, match last night, and I think three of them, three or four of them, did not play against Long Beach State. You mentioned, like, Long Beach wins in four in the pyramid, then loses in five um, in the Wooden Center. Um, and so, you know, that's it's actually a sweep. It was actually a sweep in the pyramid, Mike. Oh, excuse me. Yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. I was thinking of uh, of the Ohio State match. Yes, sweep, swept, swept UCLA, then lose in five. Um, both coaches saying very confidently, I don't think with coach speak at all, you just crumple it up and throw it away. You know, there, there's such different teams at this point. And certainly Long Beach losing at UCLA without Aiden Knipe, um, who's an All-American setter this year, uh, who's got them the number two offense in the country. It's just like, you know, ultimately, what does that add up to? It was in the Wooden Center, so, uh, you know, about a, a tenth of the capacity of the Poly Pavilion. Um, you know, and then I, I, what interests me a little bit more is those Hawaii matches, Long Beach and UCLA, both some reasons to be worried about Hawaii and some reasons to feel confident. Um, you know, Long Beach looking very good against Hawaii in two matches in the Pyramid, uh, winning them in four, and then going to the Islands and getting swept in the Big West Championship, um, which, as I said, they were swept, but they're serving for set point in the first two sets. So um, a lot of stuff going in both directions. If you're just talking about straight up matchup, um, UCLA has typically had the advantage over Long Beach in the middle. Um, I think that the setters are all pretty even across those three teams. Long Beach has the best pin hitters in the country. There's absolutely zero question about that with Alex Nikoloff, Clark Godbold, and Spencer Olivier, all three of whom are all Americans. And Nikolov, who will be a finalist for, if not the National Player of the Year. Um, and then passing-wise, Long Beach has the best libero in the country in Mason Briggs. So, 
Um, Hawaii might have a slight edge on serving, uh, you know, but Long Beach has got good servers too. So it's really razor thin margins between those three teams in terms of matchups. And I, I just want to make a quick plug because if you're interested in volleyball, if you've heard us talk about how we consider Long Beach a volleyball town and all this stuff, uh, I was talking to one of our interns, Casey, at the, the swim meet about it, you know, because she's got interest in volleyball. And I said, hey, if you're going to watch a match, if you're thinking about getting into men's volleyball, Thursday, Long Beach State, UCLA, 5 p.m. first serve, Mike? 5 p.m. That's that's the one. That's the yeah. one to watch. You're gonna you're gonna recognize those names in the Olympics in a few years. So definitely tune in if you if you have an interest. And uh, maybe Long Beach State will uh, start another title streak here. Who knows? What you are about to hear is an interview uh, that Mike did with Coach Alan Knipe. Obviously, the uh, the history speaks for itself with him, the university, and what he's been able to do with that program. And, uh, and, and Mike, I thought this was a really good interview. That's not just about this season, but just kind of about coaching and, and what he's doing over there. So what's the, what, what's, what's the mood? Is everyone ready to play? Is it kind of a weird to navigate the week in between, right? Yeah. It's always a little strange on the fact that you, you don't really take a week off during the season, you know, but, um, I think it would feel a little bit stranger if we had played locally, last weekend and have, but we flew on Sunday and all that. So it's kind of nice to get back and, and have, uh, have Monday off and then be able to do our normal light Tuesday and set the week and then get going today. Yeah. Um, what's the mood? I mean, is everyone, I, I did sense a little anxiousness talking to Mason and Alex of like, you know, coming back Saturday after Saturday, it was like, we'd like to play right now. <laughs> well, I think anytime you, you don't get the result you want, you want to get back on the court as fast as possible. Cause that's what the nice thing is about the big West schedule when you lose and you have the game 24 hours right. later. But, uh, at the same time, it's up to me to make sure that I create the environment that they can get some of that, that aggressiveness and that competitiveness out, you know, in our training gym. Yeah, I mean, I this is probably not for the story, but my read on your teams has always been we we covered uh, we cover a lot of soccer in Long Beach, obviously, and we had a guy who is at Milliken for 40 years and won like 10 championships. He was Yugoslavian, and he always said, he's like Mexican teams play with their heart, and I want my teams to play with their heads, you know. And like I always felt like you and maybe Charlie's teams had a little bit of that dynamic where you're like they're gonna get real big. And we're just going to be right here. Right. Is that kind of how you try and manage a week totally. like this? I just think that, you know, in these moments, it's not about the spectacular play. It's about lots of really good plays. Yeah. And that's what, and you have to be, you have to be focused on the next play and with in control of your emotions and, and, you know, keep, continue to feed the positive side of your, you know, the positive wolf, whatever way you want to say it, to be able to try to be, consistent with your preparation if not you're going to get caught up in the, the bad play and then the spectacular play and then we're all over the map so we live and die by lots and lots of really good plays really good points and, yeah. and trust that that's the style of volleyball that will win in the long run is that something i mean is that a coaching philosophy that you adopted while you were playing i mean where you're noticing like hey we win a big rally but then we lose four points it's like we only won 20 percent of the points or you know where, where did you yeah. kind of key into that I, I, you know, I think where it really comes from, there's, there's probably two areas. One area is that I had the luxury of playing um, multiple positions in my life. You know, I was an outside hitter when I got to Long Beach, but played middle at the end of my career. And then I played outside a little bit on the national team and overseas. And then I played some opposite and I played some, you know, so I kind of bounced all around. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that was important is because you learn the difference of 
middle blockers and non-passing opposites can be a little bit more emotional. Right. right. Remember, like Nick Amato or whoever it might be on the court can show that inner Simon when he gets out there. But guys that touch the ball a lot, Mason and our passers and Aiden, you don't want those guys all over the map emotionally all the time because when something goes bad, they have to touch the ball immediately after that. Right. So you learn that the majority of the guys in your court, on the court, it doesn't, it doesn't fend well to be spiking of emotion because wherever the high is of your emotion, you're going to match it with a low. Right. Which means there's going to be bleeding points at times, and I don't want to bleed. Yeah. You know, so we want to stack as many points together as we can, get on to the next point and try to repeat and be consistent. And it's not easy, and I know my guys, it's mentally taxing sometimes to, to, to keep pushing with that yeah. mindset all the time. But in the long run, I just feel like big-time sports uh, in any level, at the highest level against the best teams, when the margins get really, really thin, that's a brand of competitive philosophy that works at any level. In pretty much every sport, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know enough about cricket or swimming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, uh, I, I mean, is that something you've thought about a lot with this team specifically? Like, it seems like this year's group, I mean, it reminds me a lot of the TJ, Josh, Kyle group sophomore year right good enough to win the championship physically and you'll find out right right. you'll find out next week if it's there mentally is that kind of your feeling i just feel like it's been the the last thing this team needed after missing pretty much all last year yeah um was let me coming in and being emotion and high emotion from the coach or high emotion demanding of them was the number one factor that's not that's not it so what they needed from me is patience. What they needed from me is direction. What they needed from me is a little bit of a poke sometimes and a lot of reinforcement and a lot of why. Yeah. And then repeat. Right. And that's what I've tried to do with them. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you feel about, you know, the makeup? And it was, you know, talking to Alex, he said he was like, he felt like the team a little bit in Hawaii kind of learned what having a crowd like that can she felt yeah. like um it, you know how do you feel that you guys are prepared to to handle that assume i mean obviously especially assuming if it's ucla on thursday but well you you can't you can't get great at handle unless you you've handled it you know and i think that we played well enough to win the match in hawaii but we didn't we, we served the two sets and then didn't win either one of them which has been a strong suit for us all season long right um but the only thing that come, can come from that is the fact that it's an experience and we learn, you know, how did we respond in our serve-receive and in our serving and our, you know, passing in that moment, in that environment. Because the, the closeness of the crowd and they're right on top of you and the energy in the building is incredible. And it's, it's such a good thing for an athlete to go through. Like I told the guys, nobody lays in bed thinking of playing in a gym with 50 people and watching you. It's the size of your high school gym. Right. People think when, you, when you're hoping to be a competitive <laughs> athlete, and especially at the Division One level. No one's dreaming about the ASC. Yeah, yeah. You're thinking about the moments like that. Win or lose, you're thinking right. about moments like that. But where you get better with it is when you learn that those moments, the energy in the building can be used as a positive regardless of if it's for you or against you as long as you're handling it right. And until you've done it a couple of times and sometimes failed at it, you you won't be great at it. So the more you can do it, and just like why I schedule like I do, and, um, you know, the fact that our conference tournament, we were the number one seed, but we went to play in Hawaii, wasn't necessarily the thing that I was super excited about. But 
I knew that there it's was a unique dynamic. I, yeah, we were, the only, you know, we were the only conference in America that did that. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's okay in the fact that I think we benefited from it greatly. We benefited from the fact that we had to go in that environment. Thank goodness we put together the season we did with all of our right. our, our criteria. Where that crowd doesn't decide It doesn't decide right. our fate. Right. But what it did do for us is it put us in a situation that we grew from that. Whether we liked it or not, whether we grew – whether we would have grown as much from a win or a loss, I don't know. But being in that environment can only help. I think um, one of the narratives in sports media I find most obnoxious, especially around, like, I feel like you hear it most in basketball, is sort of contrary to what you just said. It's the, like, some people can handle that and some people cannot. And I think you've got more of an approach of it's something you learn to handle. Do you think there's people that it just phases less? Or do you think everyone kind of, it's like weightlifting, everyone needs to rep at it and get better at it? I, I'm sure there's the outlier that it doesn't really phase, but I think it phases everybody to a certain degree. I just think your experience level with it is, is a, a big effect, too. Like, did you have you been starting since your freshman year, so you have a different swagger about yourself? Are you on the court for the first time as a junior, and this is your first experience with it, and the last time you were there, you were on the sideline? Have right. you maybe been like, you know, like maybe like Alex or TJ and Josh when they were here, that they have experiences from that, even at a level – even at the high school level or the junior level, the USA level. It's 5,000 people, but it's a sold-out gym. That's right. Right, right, right. So I just think it's an experience thing. I think everybody can learn to handle it. It's like an arrival date. Everybody will hit an arrival date where it doesn't really affect them that much anymore, but you have to go through the process. Yeah. Um, I mentioned that sophomore year for the the TJ, Josh, Kyle group and feeling like physically they were there and they weren't ready to necessarily handle that moment yet. Does that experience of that coach – teach you something different about how to prepare this year's team for Absolutely. for that? What, what, what was different in your no, approach No, I just think that, that, you know, you, sometimes you get a little t- tunnel vision as a coach and you, you make sure that same is, you know, same old, same as, you know, type situation where you're not willing to change anything because this is what got you there. That's not at all the case I've had the last four or five years. Though. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things that we do well that we want to keep, but let's keep let's keep expanding. Let's keep giving our guys more tools in their toolbox to flex at the final four. So yeah, that going through all of those experiences hopefully made their coach better. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what what are your feelings about your your team other than the crowd stuff? Did you guys learn stuff? I know you're still moving people in and out a little yeah, bit. So yeah. where do you feel you guys are at? You know, eight, eight days until uh, yeah. arrival. I think we're at a great spot. I think that we'll get to the day before we play and wish we had a couple more days, which is how I felt even in my 18 and 19, which is the nature of a, a sport that you never you never have enough time to prepare to be as good as you can, you think you want to get. So we'll time out next Thursday where we'll, where we'll play. And yeah. uh, I really like where we're at, actually. I think we do lots of really good things. And I think injuries and sicknesses and, and all sorts of weird things has had us expand our roster this year late in the season, more so than I ever have. So yeah. I feel like we're going in with more options and more ways to win than I ever have. All right, great interview with Coach. Next up, you're going to hear an interview with uh, with Mason Briggs. I mentioned top libero in the country, first team All American. Um, Mason, I, I uh, we talked a little afterwards, which is going to be in a story we're doing for the post, but not in this interview about um, maybe JJ's favorite volleyball play of that run uh, of national championships was not TJ or Josh or Kyle. It was Trevor Briggs coming in as the service sub and then having that flying across uh, cover where he slid on his back and was able to set it up just perfectly. 
Um, a play so good that Trevor Briggs literally collected his national championship ring and then retired because he's just like, I did everything I had to do. Mason was in the crowd watching and filming that on his phone. And he said, he's just dreaming about getting to play, uh, for Long Beach state. So I, he's a great interview. He's a great kid. Um, really lucky. We've got him for another two years after this and, uh, really enjoyed getting to talk to Mason before they went up to UCLA. What are your personal feelings i mean are you just like super excited about it it's, it's, i mean you've been going to these for a while right? yeah exactly yeah going going to a couple uh always been my dream to play in them so yeah basically that's how i think about it kind of like a lifelong dream and lifelong accomplishment and um product of yeah. work basically yeah. my entire life entire volleyball career um but that doesn't mean we're done yet yeah obviously i have work to do there and Super excited in that way. Yeah, so for sure. I live it myself. Yeah. Do you have a big group coming? Uh, yeah. <laughs> my mom is. My mom and dad have been trying to figure out tickets like crazy. But I bet. They're gonna do what they can. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what? Uh, I was talking to Alex, and he said he definitely after Saturday he was like, yeah, I was ready to play. <laughs> like, at that point, is there a little bit of that? Like, you yeah, know, it's kind of hard to have the taste in your mouth before the final four be exactly. that. Yeah, I think it's the same thing we had. Uh, we had the same talk Alan gave us after the Irvine match when we lost there first. I believe it was. Yeah, we yeah. lost there first, and he's talking to us right when we got off the bus, and it's like, I'm sure you guys want to play right now because. Want to get right back yeah, to it, right. especially after you know and you feel like there's some things you could have done better. Right. Um, I think that's kind of where some people were at. But then on the flip side, it's good to have a, yeah. a little breakdown of right. it all and just reset and plan for this next week and a half and go from there. Um, it does feel like between coaches and players, like when you guys have played teams twice or you played them and played them, it does feel like you've generally gotten better from the first to second. Is that a source of some confidence and some, some good feelings from you guys? Yeah, uh, definitely a, a product of everyone's work put in and the coaches and, and game plans. And I think there's just a big factor of you already play a team, you know certain tendencies, you've seen them live, you might have watched them on film for a week or two or however long before, but you've played against them on the same court you can pick up some things that second night i think we had the same kind of talk about yeah the night two of like hawaii type right. of thing or you you get a little bit more of a feel for their servers or what their setters doing yeah block, that sort of thing so definitely uh, helpful in that way um i know you've been yeah, i know you follow the sport not just what you guys are doing and everything and i, I was i was just talking to lindy it's like it feels like a weird year i mean usually there's like a team that everyone's kind of like oh that's probably the team and it feels like at least three teams you feel pretty even right now um does that make it i don't know even more exciting it's definitely like not a i, I literally don't remember the last time there were three teams that <laughs> everyone felt like could win yeah. you know i don't know definitely a weird year yeah. in terms of Everyone, I think everyone, but Ball State, right, losing their conference. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Obviously weird in that aspect. But yes. in terms of this team or that team, it's my first time here, so <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anything else. Um, sure. Obviously, when I was cheering in the stands for Long Beach, yeah. I was like, I hope Long Beach is going to win and right. believing that they're going to win. And basically the same feeling here is yeah. that's the plan to go in and win. It's not – we're not just celebrating that we're in the final right. four the plans to go in win a couple games do you remember your brother had it was i think the championship at poly he had like some ludicrously crazy good play i think it was here was it here here against pepperdine in the semifinals yeah. what was the play uh, i served 
He came in off the bench. Yes. Served as a serving sub. And then he ran all the way across the court, right? Forced pass to about the 10-foot line in, you know, area four, yes. area five, and passed it back. Slid. He slid. He like slid. He That's right. Second base or something. Yeah. And chucked it back the other way, and then they set the Josh Tuiniga set. Nikamato, actually, I'm pretty sure. Oh, that's right. got the kill. Um, and, yeah, and then went crazy. What were, you guys, what were you guys doing in the stands when that happened? Oh, we went crazy. I was filming it. So I really? actually had it, yeah. I had it because every time you'd go in, I would try and film and just, like, you know, put it on whatever. Um, and so I've watched it back many times. It's been a while now, but it comes up as, like, a memory sometimes of, like, oh, this happened a year ago or two years right, ago. Right, for sure. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, those have got to be the moments. You, that, I mean, are you thinking about that, your journey at all, of just, like, it's cool to have been here specifically thinking about getting to be in one of those moments, you know? Yeah, I, that's, that's basically, you know, when you're on the flip side of it again, you're itching and just can't wait to be in that position, and now yeah. it's finally here. And it's pretty cool because there's a – a calm aspect of it too. It's like when you're in the stands or you're cheering for them, you don't have as much control. But it's terrible, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. You, you must have hated it when yeah, you're. Yeah, it's the worst. <laughs> you just want to be out there. But now it's like, okay, at least right. I'm on the court. This is, these are my guys. This is our team. Like, yeah. I'm in it. So it's a little bit of a different feeling, but it's pretty cool. Obviously, the other big name that you've got to talk to anytime you're talking Long Beach State volleyball is Alex Mikolaf. Uh, he will be a finalist for that National Player of the Year. Uh, which is going to be announced a couple hours after we record this. So uh, fingers crossed there. But a first-team All-American as a freshman, I think led the nation uh, of the major programs, led the nation in hitting at the outside uh, hitter position. Um, just a special, special athlete. And I kind of talked to him about – he's that rare guy where you heard Alan talking about who's got the mental reps of being in these high-pressure situations – Alex is one of those guys. He's a national team level player. He's going to be playing on Bulgaria's senior national team, not the U20 team. He's going to be playing on their Olympic national team this summer. Um, he is used to these high pressure moments. And, and I just loved him. My favorite moment from this interview is him telling me, I'd rather have there be 20,000 people in an arena who hate me than have it be empty. Is it hard? I mean, it's like, you you know, I'm sure you wanted to play right after the match was over Saturday. Is it, is it hard to sit around for, you know, almost two weeks? Definitely annoying. Uh, <laughs> we wanted to play ASAP, like you said. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, we're going to get ready for a week and a half from now. And, yeah. um, you've handled this year, obviously, really well. It's taken a lot of things in stride, but Final Four NCAA tournament, um, how do you feel personally about that? You know, I mean, are you excited? Are you nervous about it? What, what's your headspace like? Uh, I'm excited. My first ever NCAA Final Four. Um, I mean, it was expected of this team. Uh, we, I mean, we had a good roster and we played a good season, so we yeah. wanted to be there. We deserved to be there. And now it's uh, up for grabs, basically. We're just going and yeah. trying to win it. What's, um, you know, in, in Bulgaria or maybe just sort of Europe in general, like, do you guys follow NCAA stuff at all, or is it just kind of the pro stuff and the American college stuff you don't really think about? Like, have you heard of this tournament five years ago, whatever, you know what I mean? Five years ago, definitely not. Okay. <laughs> I heard about it like two years ago, maybe. Yeah. Which doesn't matter. When you started thinking about you're going to go yeah. to college or whatever. Basically. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's a famous, it's a yeah. famous thing. Just uh, after maybe Parapuna, Rado. Right, right, yeah. After maybe he came back, there's like a lot of people when I went. Yeah. Now a lot of Bulgarians know about it. Okay. Because they follow us on social media and everything. So right. We're um, definitely spreading it. Is Rado's from your same town? Yeah, I think so. 
That's crazy. You didn't need it now. Okay. Okay. But he's from Bulgaria, so okay. probably like an hour or two away. That's cool. Um, what did you guys kind of learn about yourselves in Hawaii? Did you guys find something out that, you know, you'll be able to take in the next week, something you need to be better at or, you know, weakness or something? The only thing we learned is that playing in front of a home crowd is different. Um, and it's – the energy is different. Um, you feel – just feel it's, – it's different. It's just different than playing at home yeah. uh, when you have 5,000 of your fans. Right. <laughs> Um, but and this is a very valuable lesson because we're gonna play UC probably UCLA yeah. um, at home. Yeah. So what's yeah. different? Like, is it just the way you feel when seven thousand people hate you versus love you? Like, what what does it change for you, sort of emotionally? Personally, I love it. Uh, yeah. I don't care if it's a if it's a fan or if it's a hater or if it's yeah. another fan. I I just love attention and I love. Um, when the crowd, when the stands are filled, that yeah. just gets me going. Um, You'd rather it be five thousand people who hate you than empty. One hundred percent. Yeah. Twenty thousand people <laughs> hate me. I just, I just love it. Um, I love the crowds. It's nice. Phenomenal stuff from Long Beach State men's volleyball. Like we said, Thursday, then fingers crossed for Saturday. Obviously, on Thursday as well, we've got the baseball and softball playoffs first round action. So it is going to be a busy week at the five six two dot org. Make sure you get there. Make sure you smash that subscribe button. Make sure you tell your friends, share the stories on social media. Let everybody know what's going down with Long Beach sports because it's playoff time. And hopefully that means party time. We will see you in the stands very soon, Long Beach. Take care.